All right, ladies and gentlemen, coach over here from the Car Bazaar. So like I told y'all on 10th Street Hooligans Tuesday, if y'all watched that episode, is that I kind of threw it out there that we're going to have a crackpot theory over some of the stuff in the magic lore since I did the Brothers War and the Thrain audiobooks. All right. So here's the crackpot theory. This is my original idea. I probably took like a whole day to like maybe kind of figure this out. There's probably a lot of holes that y'all probably going to... Uh, probably attack and destroy this theory but here's my argument here's my theory the main characters the main artificers are magic's version of the four horsemen of the apocalypse that's what i got for y'all all right so now if you've never seen the uh if you've never listened or even read the thran or the brothers war audiobooks or have i mean read the books or listened to the audiobooks that i produce um, spoilers ahead for this theory because I will be uh, giving out some plots, uh, some some of the story that will get out of the way. Uh, if you do want to listen to that, go over to my channel, The Carbazar. The logo is in the uh, this right here, this top left logo over here. And go over to my channel. They're in playlists. Um, if you go to F Anchor FM, type in that same name, you'll get it in audiobook form as well. All right. So here's how the theory goes. Okay. So. The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse was, you know, based off of the Bible and the books, Book of Revelations. Okay, now probably for sure Jeff Grubb did not probably intend for this to happen, but it's such a good theme that to kind of play on and kind of like theorize about this. Okay, so my theory is that the four main artificers of the Brothers War storyline, you know, they're the Horsemen of the Apocalypse of this version. Okay, so. The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, you know, when you translate it from here to, from magic to like here, or when you talk about the old, like where it comes from, okay, the most commonly known names are war, famine, pestilence, and, you know, which is also sometimes called conquest, and then death, okay, and the horses go uh, red, white, black, and pale, which pale in some cases, you know, it's talking about like a, uh, kind of a, like a light green color in this, you know, when you're talking about the Bible, when you talk about people who have studied uh, this, you know, the four horsemen or have studied revelations. Okay. So first person, the four artificers, out of the four artificers, the first person of the brothers war, we're going to talk about Thanos first. Okay. And Thanos, you know, he's this big burly character. Um, he was born off the, coast of one of the Yodian, like the Yodian country. He was like a part of a coastal village and he was a toy maker. Okay. And Tanos got his start when he went over to Urza, when he went over to the Yodian capital and presented Urza a snake. It was an artifact snake that was very realistic, was, wasn't entirely made out of metal, but you know, it was something that he, he, you know, he could get um, into Urza's presence by showing something that was very unique it was very different when it came to artifacts, okay? So that's how he gets his big break. You know, after that, he becomes Urza's apprentice before later on in the storyline, before later on becoming Urza, you know, not Urza's, but he becomes like basically a lore artificer himself down the road, okay? Now, Thanos in the storyline made a lot of inventions, okay? And if you'll see me go back and forth, I'm going to, I have my notes actually over here of like some of the stuff that's going on, okay? So, with the stuff Thanos had made, you know, he is an artificer. He made a lot of good artifacts, but they were, you know, had mostly one thing in common. Okay. 
as far as this theory goes, Tanos is actually the horseman of war. He is actually, he would actually be the rider of the red horse. Okay. Most of his inventions are war based. Okay. So he is the rider of the red horse. He is, he is the symbolization of war. He is the epitome. That's, that's what he is. That's what he represents. You know, in this theory, he represents war. Okay. So in the antiquities war, you know, while he made a lot of inventions, okay, he plays more in a war than Urza because Urza made did make a lot of stuff for war, but he was mostly, you know, with the you know, with the ornithopters, that stuff would be later be used for bombs and such. Um, most of like a good portion of his stuff was not intended for war. He was a lot Urza was doing a lot more experimentation. He was doing a lot of just kind of unique things where Thanos was actually trying to have stuff to impress Urza to win or get an edge on Mishra, okay? So if a lot of inventions were specifically for war, on top of that, if you look at some of the cards that are based around Taunus or reference him, okay, they are in some way related to war, okay? The clay statues, for instance. This was after this was after uh, the Yodian capital. This after crew got invaded by Mishra's forces. And, you know, some of the inventions he made were like clay objects. He made clay uh, automatons that... When he finally met Urza, who didn't know who he was at this point, um, or he, he was trying to figure out where he was, he fought these mechanical creatures called Yodian soldiers, which we would come and find out, find out later. Okay, So he builds these clay statues, and they're basically not a lot of metal is involved, and like he does have power stones to where he fights other things. Okay, Now, not only with the clay statues that fought you know the Yodian soldiers that, that Urza had, you also had Taunus's wand later on that would interfere with artifact creatures that would try to disable him, try to get him out of the way. You also have the card from the you know from the older sets called Taunus Weaponry. That's a you know him holding you know him or somebody holding a giant sword that was made for Taunus, made out of you know very scarce um, objects. The Triskelion, which was a giant like machine that like literally ran over and killed people. Um, the Mantis engine from Urza's Destiny, which was, you know, an invention since kind of based off the snake, you know, Urza, not Urza, excuse me. Tanos based a lot of a good portion of his stuff off animals since he lived off the coast and there were a lot of creatures there. Okay. So with that in mind, you know, he was trying to have people killed. He was trying to impress Urza. He was trying to do all this stuff. So he is the writer of war. Okay. On top of that, if you look at some of the, like Urza's armor, it makes references that this was Taunos's design. This was Taunos's design to protect soldiers, to protect Urza. So all of this points that the master artificer Taunos was, and of course, all obviously they're not meant to be, you know, on purpose. They were not meant to be like the horsemen. Like they were not designed to like kill things. This is like inadvertently, they were like, you know, they were kind of like, this is their place that they did not like know about. But he is the horseman of war. Okay. And as far as Tanos' character goes overall, while he was not an evil person or bellicose, he wanted to impress Urza. Okay. And it seemed very useful to, you know, the inventions were very useful to Urza. And they, the stuff that he made killed a lot of people. Okay. All of his contributions to the war, all of his contributions to the Antiquities War, to the Brothers War, whatever you want to call it, Tanos is the rider of the, of the horse war or of the, he is the, he is the war horseman. Okay. Which makes makes it go to the next one, the next horseman. Okay, so I'm going to pull down my notes for a second. It's going to leave us next to Ashton. Now this is started off as Mishra's apprentice. Okay, so 
you know, she was a very skilled intellect. Ashton, you know, she was kind of well known in anatomy and biology. Um, she's known to be part of, you know, the Tagoni Empire, who was who would later on be part of the Falaji Empire, which is what the Yodians, they were their closest enemy. They were the people who were they were fighting in the Antiquities War. Okay. So after creating staffs that stopped Misha's dragon engines, um, Coming from Zegon, like if you remember in the story, if you've ever read the story, listened to the story, Mishra had a dragon engine that he was basically used to conquer all of the Falaji cities. Well, Ashnod was one of the biggest obstacles that he ran into. She made staffs, she made artifact staffs that slow the dragon engine down to basically like four or five hundred meters outside the city. Okay, soldiers had these; they would point them at the dragon engine. The dragon engine could not get any further. Okay, now with Ashnod. Okay, with her um, knowledge in biology, physiology, she's actually more, she has more like the sciences that are related to how like the Phyrexians were made, how like Yalmoth's, uh, how his way of thinking was going. And as far as this theory goes, Ashad would be pestilence as far as it's concerned. Now, pestilence is more of, you know, you're talking about infection, you're talking about disease, you are talking about stuff that's related to biology, stuff that attacks the body. And while this is probably one of the weaker points of why Ashton is petulance, this is actually the most closely related that we could pit, you know, put with the other four artificers that we'll talk about. Um, petulance is most related to her because it deals with biology, deals with attacking the body, deals with trying to weaken the body through infectious disease or through, you know, in this case, through human experimentation. Okay. So while she has that knowledge, she is, she would be the writer of petulance. Okay. Now there are little details how, you know, one of the big, one of the bigger inventions and in, throughout the story is that she has made these things called transmogrants and transmogrants basically in a nutshell were her experiments to where she, uh, took soldiers or prisoners or people who were like trying to betray the Falaji empire and basically made them into these zombie wars that they would fight on her behalf. Okay. Uh, every battle she has been in, she has used transmogrants along with other Falaji soldiers. Any battle she she was in, she would bring the undead soldiers she would experiment with. Now, as far as the transmogrants go, we are not really sure if it was through like a formula, through like an infection, through maybe like taking out different body parts that she had experimented with, um, stimulants. We're not really sure, but human experimentation was going on. And, you know, some of the cards associated with this with Ashnod being pestilence and experimentation and all this and bacteria and infection in the human body, uh, Ashnod's altar, the cursed rat, um, even the, even the staffs of Zegon that were used for, uh, the dragon engines. Um, if you've also looked into the story, the, the staffs of Zegon were actually used in the story against other humans, Tanos included. Okay. We talked about him being the rider of war. He was actually attacked with the staff, of Zegon from actually Ashnod in one of their very first encounters. And one of the side effects is you get hit by one of those, you know, like one of those invisible forces is that you, you know, you have side effects of like um, weakness, nauseation, um, just straight up pain that, you know, it's, you know, it's hurting your insides. It's inflicting pain on the inside and it's affecting your anatomy. It's affecting your organs per se. Okay, so that would be another link to why she was pestilent. So she deals with stuff that affects the human body. Um, she would be the like person who like 
she uses her inventions for like trying to harm you physically throughout the body. She also has people uh, she ex- experiment on to make part of her soldiers. Okay, she so she would actually be the best candidate for pestilence. Okay, none of the others really go into like all of them have aspects of, you know, you could argue that Tano's could be like death. Or that Misha could be like war. They all have different aspects you can make the argument for. But this is actually the best case of why Ashton is pestilence. Because she deals with the human body. She experiments with the human body. Which leads me on to my next person. Okay. Misha. Now Misha was kind of a hard one to... He was kind of a hard one to figure out. Because you could probably make the case that Misha could be Urza's horseman character. Which we'll talk about in a little bit. But Misha... You know, he was the young artificer to Urza where, you know, when they were growing up together, um, they were sent off from their father uh, to go live with their mentor, Takasia, which would then lead them to be like the artificers that we know in Magic the Gathering. Okay. So they, they're part of, you know, and there are people from the Falaji Empire that are working with Takasia to find the Thran artifacts. Okay. So during this event, during the time that they're with Takasi, and a few years later down the road during the storyline, you know, finding the ornithopter, experimenting on what on that, uh, they find uh, the caves of Koilos. And in the caves of Koilos, they obviously Urza, Mishra, and Takasia find the halves of the power stone, which Mishra gets the weak stone. Okay. So he walks away with the with the weak stone, which anytime anything that gets hit with this beam weakens them if it's for a prolonged period of time, they basically wither and die. Okay. Now, on top of that, just like Urza, um, they both of these people, both of the brothers, wanted the other ones have to make the whole power stone to make the whole um, to get the whole thing. Okay, so Mishra later on, after they leave the caves of Kolos, will get into a drunken argument with Urza, and with Urza, um, you know, they've been they've been having little spurts back and forth throughout like many months, even after Ko- even after Koilos. And it got to the point where the drunk argument got so heated that they started firing their beams at each other. Okay. When they fired their beams at each other and, you know, their mentors was trying to stop them, obviously, um, she got hit with both beams and she died. Now, when that happened, you know, Misha fled to the desert. Misha then would go on to be part of the Falaji Empire by being the high wizard and later on being the Kadir, being the leader of the whole Falaji Empire. And he would then go on to have a decades, you know, decades upon decades war with his brother Urza. Okay. Now, the writer that best associate with Mishra, weirdly enough, is Famine. Okay. Famine has to deal with like the widespread scarcity of food, starvation, um, whether it's caused by politics, whether it's caused by war, whether it's caused by having land become barren because crop failure and all that stuff. But Actually, Mishra would be the best candidate for the black horse of fam. The black he would be, he'd be riding the black horse, so he would be famine. Okay, so first off, Mishra had been more accustomed to uh, the desert people. He had been more accom- accustomed to the Falaji Empire. Um, in the early parts of the story, he always wanted to be around them. He wanted to learn Falaji. He wanted. He was just so comfortable with the desert. Okay. Now, as far as the desert goes, like a lot of people already know this from grade school, that the desert doesn't really offer a lot of vegetation, um, except with maybe some oasis and other spots. So farming's not real. It's really next to impossible to try to farm out in the desert. It's actually really just impossible. Okay. So basically the Flagia are hunters and traders 
Um, they basically raid other people. They get their food or they hunt animals. They find ways to, um, you know, try to get food by other means. But as far as farming goes, which is what most people do, not just in our history, but in the storylines, they mostly farm. I mean, farming is a big thing in the story where that's how people survive. Okay. So first off, he already gets associated with a barren wasteland. He has to live out there, no food at all, next to impossible farm. And then on top of that, you know, Misha acquires the dragon engine. And the dragon engine's very important for, for a lot of reasons. One, it could destroy cities, it could destroy just outright. It's you know, it's a big, huge power weapon. But on the other thing is it, it could destroy farmland super quick. The dragon engine is known for like breathing fire, having these tank-like treads for being ginormous, for being just this gigantic metallic beast, and just burning everything down. Okay. Um, kind of like what the Romans did with the Carthaginians when, you know, they were f during like the Punic Wars where, you know, Rome would invade Carthage and after they took over a town or if they were surrounding like the walled cities and all that, they would just burn their fields and they would like just not have any food. They would try to just starve them out while the Romans were trying to get more and more shipments. Okay. So already with the dragon engine, I mean, he is already spreading wide, you know, widespread famine, not having his opponent not having the Corlysians, the Yodians have any sort of food whatsoever whenever he attacks. Like he is just putting them in the ground. Okay. On top of that, okay. Um, and Urza was also part of this, but Mishra did this a little better is that anytime they were trying to gather resources, Mishra would like try to make it efficient, but he also went distances to try to get other resources. He went to mines, he went to different forests, he went to different areas of Tericia, which is the northeastern continent of Dominaria. And he was just trying to find all kinds of ways to like get resources. Okay. Um, he, whether it was deforestation um, and really as far as the Falaji go, like the Falaji empire, they had a decent amount of soldiers, but at the same time, you're talking about a person who wants lots and lots of artifact creatures. So as far as food goes, food was not really that big of a deal. Like they probably traded with other people of the Falaji Empire, but as far as like conquest and all that, like they basically destroyed or they were gaining tribute. Um, the people that defied them, they just outright destroyed, like no chance of like getting anything as far as like material resources or like just anything that could replenish the enemy. And then when you look at some of the cards that are associated with Mishra and some of the stuff from the story, okay, cards, I'm trying to read my notes here. Um, the Ankh of Mishra, which basically taxes a person that um, plays a land. Uh, Mishra's Helix, if you look at the art for Mishra's Helix, it looks like it's um, coming to the ground and tearing it up. Literal Groundbreakers. There is a card called called Groundbreakers, like Mishra's Groundbreakers, that like it. That's that's literally what it does. Armageddon Clock, same thing. If you look at the story, um, they're basically buried underneath, and anybody that steps over them, you know, takes them over. But at the same time, you know, inadvertently, it causes damage to the ground. A lot of times it causes enough damage to where you can't really use that land anymore except like to walk on. Okay. So Misha would be the best candidate for famine because a lot of his invention, a lot of cards associated with him, he weirdly enough ends up to where they're not being used. I mean, he's stripping resources. He's, you know, burning stuff to the ground to where nothing could get used. Um, he's not really worried about his human forces. I mean, they trade just enough to get him by because he wants an artifact army. So Mishra would be the best candidate for famine because of his 
land destroying his land, like, you know, destruction capabilities. Okay. Now that kind of, that kind of ties more with famine. But another thing that we have to remember with Misha is that um, there's something that needs to be addressed and that's Gix. So if you remember Gix, he was the, basically the, the big henchman in the Thran story. And then later on in Planeswalker and some of the other stories, he would actually get a like slightly bigger part um, fighting Urza. But basically Gix was a henchman to one of the, uh, one of the Phyrexians, one of the larger Phyrexians. Um, and in this theory, he, in this particular theory with the four horsemen, he's actually the antichrist. Okay. Now we'll get back to that in a second, in a second and we'll just really expand upon that at the very end because there's not, not really a whole lot to go on. I haven't really thought too, too much about this, but with Mishra, for instance, um, the problem is that when you take the last hat or the last, um, when you talk about act three, that very last part. We're talking, we're talking with the priest of Gix, and then when you actually get to the last conflict with Urza, a lot of people speculate that he either died and that was something else, or he actually became a Phyrexian, and which was hard to, you know, kind of judge with is he still, you know, with this theory, is, is he still famous if, if this is not him, if this is someone else? Well, technically speaking, when you're talking about all the actions that they've done, all the factories that he's made, all the stuff that he's land, you know, all the land burning, all the destruction, all that stuff, you know, is he still famine? Absolutely. Okay. His effects are still going on. People of the Falaji Empire are still doing their thing. Even if this was a Phyrexian imposter, even this wasn't him, you know, he's still do that imposter is still doing the actions of what Mishra started. Okay. Even when it comes to Argoth, they were clearing land left and right. They were burning stuff to the ground. They were making sure the other side couldn't get, you know, grow food. And they were just going to go until they, the resources were like done outright. Okay. So yes, even if this was not him, for the most part, he was, he was alive for most of the story. Um, but Mishra was, is the best candidate for famine because of all the stuff that's associated with him, all the stuff that he did during the war. You could make the case that he could be war or he could be death, but this is actually when you take into account all the cards that you know his stuff does. Even strip mine, strip mine just literally destroys a land. Okay, that is also associated with Urza and Mishra. Okay, but the fact that it also includes Mishra kind of just bolsters his case of why he's famine, which leads me to my next and probably final horseman. We're talking about Magic the Gathering. So right, so so right now you have Thanos, who is on the side of Urza. He was the he was the Red Horseman. He is represent. He's a representation of war. Um, Pestilence. That would be Ashnot, obviously, with her bi biology and, and anatomy knowledge, uh, with the stuff she did with the transmogrids, with the people that she experimented on. That probably be best uh, best be a candidate for uh, Pestilence. And then we just talked about Mishra, who was probably the best candidate for the Black Horse. You know, he's the Horseman of the black horse uh oh shoot i just had it. famine and then the last person that we need to talk about obviously is urza and urza you know let me get let me get down to my notes um urza kind of starts off the same way as uh, mishra does so the only exception that you know when it comes to the urza and mishra you know the very beginning is that urza gets the might stone that's the only difference when they had the drunken argument together um, Urza and Mishra, and they kill their, you know, they kill their mentor to, sorry, <laughs> they kill their mentor to Cassia. Um, he actually goes over to Yodia, 
becomes an apprentice clockmaker, and then eventually, you know, wins a huge contest with the Yodian princess where they get married, and then he becomes like the master artificer of that particular land. He's basically the master inventor. Okay, he's basically the master person in charge of all kinds of war creation, all kinds of this creation for the Yodians. Now, the crazy thing is, is that death follows this guy. Okay, like in the very early, you know, the very early chapters, you know, at 12 years old, their father dies. Okay, um, Tokasia dies. Um, later on, like Urza's father-in-law dies because the freaking idiot decides to use Urza's ornithopters, have other people pilot them and drop like these bombs on the Flagey, who are in like the middle of peace negotiations from like raiding territory in the borderlands. Um, so they would go ahead and like bomb men. So like Urza's side inadvertently, you know, you know, while it's not Urza's fault, his side did start, you know, all the killing, like, which would turn into like, you know, you know, with the raiding and stuff, but like the actually like the full scale war, that was Urza's side that started to bomb the Falaji. Um, And even after that, like when they were trying to have another peace negotiation with Mishra, Mishra decided like, 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 screw this. We're going to use our dragon engine. We're just going to destroy the town. We're going to destroy the capital city. And so, you know, kind of with Urza's side starting the war, you have all this death and destruction. Um, people have to like flee. And then like later on, Urza has to like basically defend the nation uh, of Corlys, Yodia and Argot. They, you know, he becomes their like protector. Um, so as far as death goes, like anytime he goes into battle, he's losing soldier, whether it's a victory or defeat. Um, his former allies, like some of the dwarves, like they traded sides or they found out that they were working for like Mishra. So they killed him off. Um, like as far as like death goes, like Urza is like a big part of that. Like it's Urza's commands that like he finds traitors or find people like he is at their command. Now you could make the argument that Mishra could also play this role. And that's very true. However, the big thing that makes Urza death is the Golgothian Silex. And the Golgothian Silex, if you remember, and this, you know, this is from like the Antiquity set, but it was also mentioned in the last year's set, Dominaria. The Golgothian Silex is basically this Thran artifact that is basically like this giant nuclear bomb. Like it, it just like just kills everything. Okay. So, and the reason why Urza is death is because he was the one that activates it. He's the one that says, screw this. Like, we just need to end this war like the way it is. He was, you know, he was actually, Urza was ready to like kill himself. Urza was ready to be the one that just takes out his brother, just ends the war outright. Um, but what's crazy is that when he uses the Golgothian Silex, it not only, he not only kills so many people in like the immediate era, like he destroys all of Argoth, which... Um, here to tell you is about the size of Texas, probably a little bit bigger than that. Like if you look at the new map of Dominaria, it's pretty much that big. Okay. So he, he destroys an area that has like, like thousand, you know, hundreds of thousands of people on this potentially. And he like destroys the entire thing on top of that. Not even like, that's just the immediate area. Um, you know, even in other places they're they're feeling the effects of the Golgothian Silex in Yodia, in like parts of the Flagey Empire, the Third Path, even the people who are like neutral feel like like all the weird like side effects from the initial explosion. And then, you know, what's crazy is that he is, Urza is actually, you know, he started, 
um, this epic climate change. He basically started this nuclear winter that would have to change all of domineering society. Like every continent that is affected by, by is affected by the Golgothian Silex. So not only is there immediate death from the first initial like attack, but at the same time, you're talking about where this nuclear winter happens for like thousands and thousands of years and people have to change their way of life. People like obviously die from like all this climate change. Um, people are like trying to find fires. Like that's how one of the um, the newer like the newer races or the newer like culture starts. They're literally trying to find fire on like a mountain somewhere. Um, but Urza is obviously death like solely. I wouldn't say solely, but for the most part. Mostly because of the Golgothian Silex. He was the one that activates it, kills like thousands upon thousands of people. And then even, you know, inadvertently kills more people because he started a nuclear winter. Okay. Now, so that makes him the, he, that makes him the pale rider. That makes him death. That makes him, you know, the Golgothian Silex, him activating. That's, that's like sets his part with him being death. And on top of that, if you look at the biblical references, the pale horseman, you know, the person who is named Death, he actually does the actions last. He unveils his stuff last. And activating the Golgothian Silex is what sets the Antiquities War like to rest. Now, obviously, we see Urza and like Planeswalker and some of the other stories and then, you know, all the stuff down the road. But as far as like the Brothers War goes, like he is a great candidate for Death. Like Death just follows this guy. He causes Death immediate and even afterwards for like thousands of years. A lot of, th- a lot of this stuff that he did during the Bros war was like basically his fault. Basically that's why everything changed was because of that crazy man right there. Um, and this brings us to the last little bit of the theory. Okay. So we talked about Gix being the antichrist. So if you remember Gix, he was one of the lieutenants of Yawmoth. Okay. He was one of the lieutenants of those, one of those higher up Phyrexians basically who kind of weirdly enough caused the Thran empire to fall. He was kind of the person behind that. Um, and then while he doesn't say a lot of stuff, there's, he doesn't actually get a lot of book time. A lot of the stuff he's doing stuff, you know, behind the scenes or through his priest. And so, you know, kind of like with the, the supposed antichrist of the Bible, that's kind of like, he just kind of like sets things in motion, um, in the, in the biblical stories, like the four horsemen are kind of working with the antichrist when the. Uh, History Channel did their documentary over this stuff when everyone was freaking out about 2012. Um, they actually brought this up that like the Antichrist and the Four Horsemen, along with some of the other you know entities in the in the Bible and Revelations, they were all kind of working together. Now, my theory is that while Gix is supposedly the Antichrist, and the Antichrist is not the same thing as like Satan. Remember, the Antichrist is a, is an agent of Satan. Um, you could probably guess already who that so-called Satan character would be. But you, he was basically working behind the scenes. He's trying to get his priests on all sides, even the third path, even the people who were claiming neutrality. And he was trying to, you know, get them to fall apart. Okay. Um, but that would be later closer to the end, um, trying to weaken everything. And, you know, with, at, with all the artificers, they were causing his destruction you know, and not knowing that they were helping Gix out. They were basically saying that they were basically, you know, just fighting a war that they didn't know this person like even exists. They didn't know this, this demon Lord Gix even existed. Okay. But with all the priests being involved in so much stuff, you know, all, all the stuff that they did caused a lot of destruction. It just helped Gix out. Now, while Gix didn't get 
his while Gix didn't get, let's say, Gix wanted the two halves of the Power Stone. He also wanted both the brothers to be knocked out. So while he didn't get the Power Stones overall, you know, it kind of weak it weakened Dominaria to the point where later on the Phyrexians could come and invade. And, you know, that, you know, um Gix would do his job and and the four and the the four artificers that we talked about kind of did their job for him. They kind of put it to a we can say like pe- a lot of people died um from Tanos's weaponry from all the stuff that he created people died from experimentation with Ashnot a lot of people died from famine from Mishra's aspect with dist- you know over time with starvation and people like going into this panic and then obviously a whole lot of people died from Urza so those four people those four artificers did Gix or in this case the Antichrist's job for them which would set up you know, Yawmoth coming back in the later storylines. And that's kind of how, like, revelations go, is that you have the Four Horsemen, you have the Antichrist, and then later on you would have Satan try to come back, which in this case obviously would be Yawmoth, which he does come back in the Invasion storyline. Uh, we'll talk probably about that a little bit later when I, you know, invade John's channel again with this random streaming stuff. Um, but I'll probably also write this up to where it's a more detailed script. I'll probably post it on Reddit. I'll probably make a separate video over this to kind of just show y'all, um, give y'all pictures of, you know, some of the stuff that, you know, I thought about. Um, but basically that's it. So you have Thanos, the horseman of war, riding the red horse. Um, you have Pestilence, uh, being Ashnon, the rider of the black horse or the rider of the white horse. I should say Mishra, who is famine riding the black horse. And then you have Urza who is riding the pale horse of death. Um, Nisha being famine, and then Gix also being the Antichrist, with Yawmoth being uh, Lucifer, with being Satan. So that is my crackpot theory. There's probably a lot of holes that y'all are gonna get rid of anyway. I just want to entertain the idea because also John needs like more like videos and streams on here. So that's why I'm kind of helping him out. Um, he told me I I could probably invade his channel whenever. So I'll probably. You know, as far as like other stuff goes, this is probably one of the things I've been thinking about. I'll probably make a uh, my own video on, on my channel, the Car Bazaar, like with all pretty pictures and effects and like music and all that. But this has kind of helped John out. But this also kind of entertains the idea of: um, Do you believe that the you know the four main characters, the four artificers, were the Horsemen of the Apocalypse? I hope I gave like somewhat of a good argument. Um, that is obviously my jar going off, but. Um, obviously like this is just to be an entertaining idea. If y'all get serious about this, we could talk about this. Maybe y'all could, um, kind of fix the theory to where we can make more solid evidence or which horseman should actually be someone else. Do you think Pestilence should be going to like Thanos or to like Urza instead? Um, but yeah, that is, um, uh, basically my stream for today on Johnstown with a 10 tree Tulkin. So, uh, thank you for watching this. Um, so obviously pick this apart. Um, send me a message on on Twitter uh, by going to at at the Car Bazaar CC. Um, if you look at me through there, actually, I'm trying to look at my camera right here. There's my YouTube channel, um, all the two the two books that I've done, which took a lot. And then also, if you want to look at this um, card anthology, um, that's a series that's probably actually the most popular, where we go over the. Um, history of the magic sets. I think we just finished Future Sight, where that's actually going to be published on Friday with our guest speaker being 
uh, JJ, otherwise known as MTG Strategist, the same person who is doing the um, Magic the Gathering Content Creators Awards. Um, so go ahead and check us out. Like I said, that video will be released Friday. But what are your thoughts about this? Send me a Twitter message. Send me a tweet. Um, go ahead and just annoy me with all that stuff. Do you think it obviously is a crackpot idea? Like there's a lot of potholes or a lot of stuff that I probably miss. You're probably right. That's fine. Um, if you like the idea, just come and bother me and we'll have a discussion about that. But if you end up going, if you want to see more of my videos, go to the Car Bazaar, subscribe to my channel. I try to upload every so often. Um, probably next year we'll be starting either the, uh, not the Thram, but the Planeswalker book or we'll be doing the Gathering Dark. If you want to join my Patreon, I'm going to um, send over a link to the poll that we're about to do to where uh, we'll send out about three books and and my patrons will be able to vote on that. If you look up the Carbazon Patreon and we become a member, so you get early access to videos, you can go ahead and do that. But we're going to send out a poll to do the next audiobook and we're probably going to start production of that over in January and we'll probably release sometime in March. So be on the lookout for that. So that's all I have, everyone. Thank you for joining me on the stream. If you missed the live stream, go ahead and click the video or send this video out to people and see if my crackpot theory works out for you guys. So that's all I have. Coach signing out.